May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. I receive a daily devotional via email from a Franciscan Roman Catholic priest known to many of you. His name is Richard Rohr. This week I received the following reflection, and I quote, Spirituality is best when it gets its hands dirty helping others. Faith does not float on clouds. It walks in the streets of human reality. It stands in the midst of disaster and tragedy. It sustains all creation. It enters into the painful spaces where love struggles to exist. Faith is a tool. It is meant to be used where it is needed most. Therefore, it works on the most difficult jobs, the ones that are often complex and even dangerous. Faith is the sweat equity of believing. The joy we receive is not the promise of what is to come, but the experience of what is now. We practice what we believe. We share what we have. Spirituality is best when it gets its hands dirty helping others. Faith doesn't float on clouds, he says. It walks in the streets of human reality. This statement seems a fitting place to launch our, our examination of today's passages that we've read. In Jeremiah, we read his call to be a prophet to a wayward Israel. He's called to speak the difficult truth that they've gone way off track, failing to be a light to the nations. And he's called to warn them that they face negative consequences for their actions and their inaction. This is not a fun job. So our passage begins with God reminding Jeremiah that even before he was born, even when he was in his mother's womb, God knew and consecrated him for this particular work, this call on his life. Not unlike Psalm 139, which is one of my favorite psalms, where the psalmist says, Lord, you've searched me out and known me. You know when I sit, when I rise, when I, when I fall, when I sleep. You know me intimately. You've known me since I was created in my mother's womb. You know my going out, my coming in. You've known me, and you know me still. God is reassuring Jeremiah that God is holding him and knows his every need even before he asks. What Jeremiah is being called to do is scary. And Jeremiah, like most of us would, kind of argues with God and um, feels insecure about this call. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. The psalmist in Psalm 71 proclaims that God is safety. God is our refuge. God rescues us. He offers us hope and freedom deliverance from our enemies, and that psalmist's confidence is in God. 
Again, reminiscent of Psalm 139. The passage from Hebrews, while it may seem a little out of sync with the other passages that we're reading today, it helps develop an important theme that emerges in today's scriptures. This passage contrasts Old Covenant, the blood of Abel, which was shed in vengeance, with the New Covenant, or New Jerusalem, which Jesus inaugurates with his life, death, and resurrection. The writer reminds us it is Jesus' work of acceptance and welcome, love, mercy, and grace, which is the way forward, the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem, the new covenant. It is a kingdom that cannot be shaken, proving, provoking gratitude in us as we worship with reverence and awe. It is a kingdom that is at hand, as Jesus repeatedly says in the Gospels. The kingdom of hand, the kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. It's now, not just a kingdom for the sweet by and by. Then we come to today's Gospel lesson where Jesus heals a Jewish woman. A daughter of Abraham bent over and crippled for 18 years. So bent she cannot stand up straight. And he does this act of mercy, this healing, on a Sabbath. In an unnamed synagogue, in front of his detractors and his followers. This healing is the third of four healings or controversies involving Sabbath practices in Luke's gospel. And this particular one is unique to Luke's gospel. The others are in, in chapter 6, where the disciples are walking along in a field and they pick the grain and they eat it, and, and the Pharisees get mad at Jesus, saying they're not following Sabbath law, they're laboring. And Jesus refutes them and says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And then the next one follows immediately on that one in John, I mean, excuse me, in Luke 6, 1 to 5, starting in, chapter, in verse 6, where Jesus heals a man with a withered hand, also on the Sabbath. Today's passage, on the Sabbath. And then there's another one in chapter 14 where Jesus heals a man with dropsy. And in all those instances, the Pharisees and the powers that be within the Jewish church get mad at Jesus for doing labor on what they perceive as labor on a Sabbath. We know that we are commanded to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But what is the purpose of the Sabbath? What's the purpose of the Sabbath? Rest? Did I hear rest? Remember, God created the world and on the seventh day. What did he do? He rested. Rest. In each of the Sabbath stories, Sabbath controversies in Luke, Jesus makes the point that the welfare of individuals takes priority even over religious obligations, even observance of the Sabbath. They examine the issues around work versus rest, Law versus grace, Old Covenant versus New Covenant. 
The woman in today's passage has been afflicted for 18 years. She was judged by her community as a sinner. For the common belief in Jesus' day was that a person who had a chronic illness or condition was guilty of sin and was being punished by God. Thus, this woman was ostracized by her entire community, alone and outcast, and Jesus sees her. Here, the community is using faith as a weapon, not as a tool for believing. Jesus saw that the beliefs about sickness were the real problem, and that they said something about God that wasn't true, that isn't true. The community was pointing fingers at the infirm and claiming their condition caused God to punish them. Jesus reversed that thinking in his action and labeled such cruel groupthink Satan, pointing out that accusatory beliefs come from Satan, which means accuser. Once healed, the woman leaps up, responding with joy, gratitude, and worship. Jesus offers her and all of us a soul-expanding, enlightened understanding of Sabbath and the wideness of God's kingdom, which is now, which is new, and calls us into a fresh covenantal relationship. The purpose of the Sabbath is not to encourage is to encourage, excuse me, is to encourage, not forbid works of compassion, actions that liberate, that help others more from disease to rest. The Sabbath's essence is not what it forbids, it's what it requires. It requires rest. For the first time in 18 years, this woman, a child of Abraham, known to God in her mother's womb, experiences rest. The truly heavy load that this woman bore is not unlike those burdens we often impose on ourselves and on others. When our beliefs are twisted and keep us looking at the ground instead of towards the skies or into the eyes of a compassionate friend who cares for us. In Rio de Janeiro, I had to work this in. In Rio de Janeiro, there's the iconic statue, Cristo de Redentor. Have you seen it on the Olympics? It's Brazil's equivalent to the Statue of Liberty. It stands 2,300 feet above the city. It's 98 feet tall. It's a statue of Jesus, Christ the Redeemer. It was completed in 1932 and can be seen from any point in Rio. In fact, when a person gets lost in Rio, visitors and residents alike are encouraged to look to Christ so that they can reorient themselves and get back on track and find their way. Look up to Christ so that we can once again find our way. What a metaphor. Are we people who honor the fundamental truth that Jesus is teaching us here? 
Do our burdens keep our gaze downcast? What needs a rest in our lives? What cripples us so that we are not who we are meant to be? We may stoop from osteoporosis or from depression and a broken spirit. Like Jeremiah, we might question God's ability to help us speak or lead despite our age and our qualifications. Or as we examine our own practices and prejudices, either as a congregation or as an individual, do we allow belief to disregard love of, the neighbor, of our neighbor? Do we place the needs of people ahead of beliefs that need to be overturned? Perhaps it's not just the woman who was bent over and twisted in this story. Beliefs in communities which accept such beliefs as true can be bent over and twisted too. Jesus says, stand up, you are free. What beliefs do we have that cause us to make laws and develop attitudes that imprison and condemn others to carry the heavy burden of our rejection, shaming, and condemning? My prayer is that we take time to examine our attitudes and the areas of our own lives where we are crippled and downcast so that we may enjoy Sabbath rest, so that we may look up and see Christ our Redeemer and be set free. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.